Wonderful. It's great to see you all. And um, as Jamie said, we're starting a new sermon series. And uh, if you're near the end of a pew, you might grab the Bible, uh, grab some Bibles, pass them down the road so everyone's going to look at it and turn to page 1066. And we're going to be looking at just three verses this evening, um, including what many people say is the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3 and verse 16, page 1066. John chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses um, 16 to 18. Um, so hopefully you found that. John 3.16, page 1066 in the church Bibles. Let me read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I'm going to pray, and then do keep that um, page open, and we're going to look at that over the next few minutes. So let's pray now. Lord God, you so love this world, and you so love the world that you sent your one and only Son. And this evening, right now, we want to just take a moment to say thank you for your love for us. And we pray that indeed you would shine your light onto each one of us. And we pray, may we be transformed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we start this new seven-week sermon series on the gospel And so I think right at the start, we need to start by just saying, what is the gospel? Just defining the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. And in ancient Greek, uh, it comes from the word euangelion that you'll hopefully see uh, up there. And and euangelion itself, that word, it's made up of two Greek words, eu, which means good or well, and angelion, which means message. So it's a good or well message. And it was often used in ancient Greek context uh, in sort of military, t- military sort of situations. So you can imagine, if you like, in a sort of ancient Greek times, in an ancient Greek city, some t- sort of town crier in the middle of a marketplace and crying out, going, hear the good news, he- hear the euangelion, hear the good news about the first battalion that they've defeated the hairy marauding invaders from Macedonia or something like that. Well, the Bible writers that they wrote in ancient Greek in the New Testament, And if you like, they borrowed this euangelion word and they used it for themselves. And again and again in the New Testament, it comes up, this euangelion word. And really, so when we're reading the Bible, in a sense, what we are seeing is the Bible writers, they too, they are, if you like, town criers. They are crying out as they write the Bible. They're saying, hear the good news. Hear this good news about another famous victory. You see, the heart of most religions, the heart of most worldviews is good advice or, or good ideas or good morals or good philosophies. But Christianity is different. At the heart of Christianity is good news. Christianity, it is not about what we have to fulfill or we have to achieve or we have to accomplish or we have to do. No, it is news. It is good news 
of what someone else has already fulfilled. Someone else has already achieved and accomplished and done for us, for you and me. And that someone is Jesus. In our little uh, reading in John 3, there are two words that they come in verse 16, and they come in verse 17, and they come in verse 18. And those two words are God and Son. The gospel, very simply, it is good news about God's Son. Uh, Earlier today, at the 11 o'clock service, we baptized four little uh, baby girls that have recently been born uh, amongst the church family. And at the moment, there seem lots and lots of babies being born in the church. And we all know what happens. Whenever a new baby is brought into the church, everyone sort of gathers around to get a glimpse of the baby. And they go, oh, isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful? She's so sweet. She's adorable. What's her name? And the parent goes, Kevin. His name's Kevin. (laughs) And then once uh, once it's sort of clear on the sex and the name of the baby, then, then we move on to the spot the resemblance to the parents game. You know, oh, he's got his, he's got his mum's uh, sparkling eyes. Uh, he's got his dad's dainty dimples. That's Winston and Ben Hayes. Um, <laughs> and then as the children grow up, as the children grow up, it, it, the, the resemblance game isn't just sort of the physical looks, but it's also the characteristics too. You know, when he does that, he's just like his dad. Well, what about Jesus? Who did Jesus resemble? Jesus, he flattened a storm. He healed a man who couldn't walk from birth. He fed 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fishes. He raised a dead person to life. He himself was raised from the dead after being killed on a cross. His earthly dad may have shown him how to make a coffin, but he sure couldn't show him how to empty a coffin, could he? This man, Jesus, he resembled God. The gospel, it is good news. Hear the, the good news about God's Son, Jesus. And today, as we start this seven-week sermon series, we're particularly thinking, as we think about the gospel, we're thinking about the idea of what it is to be saved by the gospel. What does it mean to be saved? Now, we all understand the concept of saving, of salvation. Just think of the last week politically. I just looked at some of the newspapers over the last week, some of the newspaper headlines about Brexit. Here are a couple. Theresa May scrambles to save her Brexit deal. A second referendum is the only way to save us out of this mess. So there's a problem. Something saves the situation. It solves the problem. Or or thinking more personally, for me, uh, just this last week, uh, on Monday, we had to take our our five-year-old daughter, Hope, to hospital because she suddenly became paralyzed on the left side of her face and couldn't move the left-hand side of her face. She couldn't close her eyelid on the left. She couldn't move the left uh, side of her mouth. And and we were hugely worried. Now, it turns out she's got this thing that I'd never, ever heard of. It's called Bell's Palsy. Many, many people have things that are far, far worse than Bell's palsy. But obviously, we are praying that hope will recover. Uh, The doctors say that sometimes the nerve that's sort of been paralyzed, that it starts working again after a few weeks. Uh, Sometimes it's not for sort of 6 to 12 months. And for 5 to 10% of people that get it, actually, it's permanent. The, the, The movement will never return. And we don't know what the future is for hope. But for hope, there's a problem. 
There is a problem. And of course, I long that she gets back movement in the left-hand side of her face. I long that her beautiful smile, that it's saved, that she is saved from Bell's palsy being permanent for her. We long for her to be saved from the problem. And if you like, what we're trying to do this evening is we're trying to understand what is being saved all about. What is being saved all about when it comes not to Brexit, not to Hope's Bell's palsy, but what is, it, what is it all about when it comes to the gospel? What does it mean to be saved when it comes to the gospel? Well, first of all, let's think about saved from what? Saved from what? What, what if you like, is the problem that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is the solution to? What is the problem? Take a look, would you, at verse um, 17. Verse 17 is where this word saved actually comes in our little reading. Just look at verse 17. It says this. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, it's really important to see this. Just look at that verse. Jesus did not come into the world when he came into this world 2,000-odd years ago. He did not come into the world, if you like, wagging his finger to condemn us. It says there, Jesus came to save us, not to condemn us. So as Jesus came into the world, his primary motive, it was love. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So Jesus, he did not come into this world to give us a problem. But he did come into this world to alert us to the problem that we all already have. That each one of us, that we are naturally condemned. And that's quite a big word. Just look at the next verse. Look at verse 18. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Or just look up to verse 16. It's the same idea, but just using the word perishing rather than condemned. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So here is what you and I, what we naturally need saving from. That naturally we are condemned by God. That we're under his judgment. That we're perishing. And that is, that is bad news. That is bad news, and it is a far, far, far bigger problem than Brexit or Hope's Bell's palsy. Because it affects all of us, and because the effects are devastating. And so when we recognize that, when we recognize what those verses are saying, what the problem is, the first step for every single one of us, the first step is to admit to admit that we need saving. Whoever we are, however successful we may be, however beautiful we may be, however moral we may be, uh, however popular we may be, every single one of us here in this building, indeed every single one of us on the planet, however much any one of us might feel totally, totally sorted, we need to admit that we need saving. So that's the first thing. Saved from what? Second thing. Saved by what? So if you like, if, if there is a problem that we need saving from, how are we going to be saved from that? Saved by what? 
Several years ago, there was an aeroplane that took off from Washington, D.C. in the States, and it crashed into the Potomac River. It was um, winter, and the river was full of ice, and the crash happened near a major road bridge, so the TV cameras could get a good view on everything that was happening. And so there were, that day, there were millions of viewers uh, watching on TV in their living rooms, and they were watching these live scenes of this disaster unfold. And so they were watching on their TV screens, and they could see this helicopter hovering overhead. And the helicopter, it let down a lifebelt on a line to a man struggling in the icy water. And this man, he grabbed the, the life jacket, he swum to another person, he clipped them in, and they were hoisted up to safety. Uh, again, the, the helicopter let down the lifebelt on the line. Again, the man grabbed it. Again, he swam to someone, clipped them in, and they were hoisted to safety. And that happened, it happened four or five times before this man tragically drowned. Now, imagine you were one of the millions of people sitting in your living room watching this on TV. And imagine you said to yourself, you said, why doesn't he save himself? Well, the answer's obvious, isn't it? He didn't save himself because he was out to save others. His death so that others could live. And with Jesus, it is the same. Jesus died so that others could live. Jesus died to save us. And this time, we're not just sort of distant spectators watching the event on TV. We're involved. We are the ones that, that need saving, just like those people in that river. We need saving, we've seen from these verses. We need saving from, from condemnation, from perishing. And we are saved by Jesus' death, him dying for us. You see, the God who we've all told to keep out of our lives, he has come into our life and he has taken the punishment that we deserve in our place on the cross. Just for a moment, would you, would you look at verse 16 again? As you look at verse 16, the first half of the verse it applies to every single one of us here. It applies to everyone in the world. Whether you're young or old, whether you leave or remain, whether you're struggling or successful, a Muslim, Buddhist, atheist, agnostic, whoever you are, God so loves you. God wants you in relationship with him so much. That verse there, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loves each one of us, you and me, so much that he gave up his son to death on a cross. So every single one of us here, every single one of us, we are in the first half of verse 16. But the question is, are you in the second half of verse 16 too? Are you in the second half? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's exactly the same challenge that's being made in verse 18. If you look at it, verse 18, it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Both of those verses are saying believing that is the response that is required to the gospel. And so really this evening, I need to ask every single one of us, 
have you believed in Jesus? And by that, I don't just sort of mean, have you believed intellectually that there was this man, Jesus, who walked on earth 2,000 years ago? I don't mean that. I mean, have you believed in Jesus and who he is, that he's God's son? Have you believed in Jesus that what he did for you in love, he died on the cross in your place? Have you believed in Jesus that he, that he longs that our lives wouldn't be lived separate from him, but would be lived trusting in him? Have you believed in Jesus? Are you in that second half of verse 16? So with the gospel, we are saved from condemnation. We are saved by Jesus' death in our place. And then thirdly and finally, we are saved for what? What are we saved for? Well, we're saved for eternal life. Just look at verse 16 yet again, if you would. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if our response, if our response to the previous two points was to admit and to believe, then our response here, it is to celebrate. This is, if you like, the ABC of being saved by the gospel. We admit, we believe, and we celebrate. We celebrate because we are saved for eternal life. You see, if you or I, if we are believing in Jesus, then we're not just believing in the one person who has died in our place on the cross, but we're also putting our trust in the one person who has conquered death, the one person who has risen to new life. Jesus, he has got through death, and so as we connect ourselves to him, we can trust that he will get us through death to eternal life too. I love the old quote from um, D.L. Moody. He was a 19th century um, Christian preacher, and he said this, He said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. That That is a celebration of being saved for eternal life. But here, I think, is the big thing we need to recognize. Eternal life, it is the wonder of an eternity with Christ rather than apart from him, yes. But eternal life, it doesn't start after death. Eternal life starts the moment you believe in Jesus. We we don't experience it now in all its fullness, free from sin and suffering like we will in heaven. But eternal life, it starts the moment you become a Christian. You see, if all the gospel is about, if it's all just about a ticket to heaven, if it's, if you like, some sort of eternal future insurance policy, if it's all future, then in a sense it makes little difference to us in the here and now. If it's just all about future, then it just becomes this sort of bolt-on extra, the gospel, that we can just sort of bolt onto us or take off us depending on how we're feeling. You know, we just sort of stick it on as we come to church on a Sunday, and then we take it off as we go to work during the week. But if, if in the gospel, if we are saved for eternal life, which starts now, then belief in Jesus, it affects everything. 
Because it's not just some sort of transaction for the future. You know the kind of thing, well, Jesus, if I believe in you now, then when I die, you'll take me to heaven. It's not just that, that sort of transaction thing. It's far more than that. No, it is a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's a life lived with Jesus as our Lord, with his spirit living in us. And that gives so much to celebrate. You know, all our sins, past, present, and future, they are fully, freely, and forever forgiven. As we believe in Jesus, we become sons and daughters of the one true God with direct access to him. He makes our broken hearts whole. He comes to live in us by his spirit, and we are connected to the one, the only one, who can truly satisfy our souls. And most importantly of all, we have the hope of heaven. There is so much to celebrate. And really this evening, what I thought I'd, I'd do is to, to finish this sermon, I'd love it if it's okay, just to speak a little personally. And just to share something about how the gospel has saved me. Now, I don't often speak about this this much, but I, I thought maybe it's, maybe it's helpful to do it uh, today. As a child and as a teenager, I've struggled quite how to express this, but I think the best phrase to use is, as a child and teenager, I was surprisingly successful. Um, I'm not quite sure how, I'm not quite sure why, but I did pretty well at school. So age 13, I got an academic scholarship to probably the most well-known school in the country, to Eton. And um, I was popular there. Uh, I was okay at sport, nothing amazing, but I was okay. I wasn't sort of like lots of the other scholars who were sort of thought to be these nerdy geeks who couldn't kick a football. Um, I, I, was, I was fairly popular. Uh, age 17, I was voted to be the head prefect at Eton. People looking in on me at that time would have said, well, he's got the world at his feet. And yet my story is not one where I had all these great things, it was all going really well, and then there was some sort of big disaster that I suddenly needed saving from. That wasn't it at all. If Christianity, if it had been about giving me purpose in life, I did not need it. I had a purpose in life. If Christianity was about giving me a community to, to be part of, to, to, to have friends in, I didn't need that. I had loads of friends. If Christianity had been about saving me from a crisis of, of drugs or mental health problems or some physical illness, it wouldn't have been relevant to me. Life was good. I didn't think that I needed saving from anything. But then a friend of mine who'd become a Christian a year previously, he asked me to go on this Christian conference for people in their sixth form at school. So it was a bit like the Alpha course, but sort of squashed into three days. And he asked me to go on this thing, and I didn't want to go. I thought it sounded incredibly boring, a complete waste of time. It sounded incredibly dull. But I couldn't think of an excuse not to go. And he was my best mate, and so I found myself going on this thing. And as I went on this conference, through the talks, through the discussion times, very simply, I heard the gospel. I heard the good news about Jesus, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And what I discovered was that I, like every single other person on this planet, I needed saving. 
Now, I knew only too well that I wasn't perfect. I mean, the week before going on this conference, I'd gone to a party, and I'd ended up snogging my girlfriend's best friend, which is not very impressive at all. Um, So I knew I was far from perfect. But what I had failed to grasp, that that incident, that incident was just one little symptom of a far more serious problem. That I needed saving from my natural tendency to live with me at the center of the universe with no regard for God. I needed saving from being rightly under God's condemnation for turning my back on the one who gives me my every breath. And so at that conference, I had to face up to and admit that I needed saving. So at that conference, age 17, I did. I admitted that. But I also believed. And I believed because I discovered that this God, that I wasn't sure whether he existed or not, I discovered that this God, that he loved me, and he loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And all the evidence, as I looked at it, all the evidence stacked up for who he is, for the proof of the resurrection. So I came to believe, and not just intellectually, but came to say, Jesus, I trust my life to you. But to be totally honest, it was quite a reluctant decision. C.S. Lewis, you may have read it, C.S. Lewis talks about him when he came to uh, be a Christian, to put his faith in Jesus. He calls himself the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. And I wasn't much far behind him. I thought that God was a killjoy, that God was out to spoil my fun, and I wanted to have fun. And so there I was, if you can picture it, age 17, I admitted I needed saving. I believed that Jesus had died to save me. But I was so far from celebrating being saved for eternal life. Because whilst I could see the importance of the hope of heaven rather than perishing eternally, that seemed so far off. I mean, I was 17, I had the whole of my life to live. And this life, this here and now, I felt, well, it's going to be boring, it's going to be dull, it's going to be unimpressive. Life is downhill from here on in. And actually, it wasn't until the following months, even years after that conference, that I began to increasingly celebrate what it means to be saved for eternal life. To be saved for a life with Jesus that starts now and goes on for eternity. And that celebration... That celebration, it came as I increasingly recognized that God, he is not a killjoy who's out to spoil my fun, but that he is a perfect, loving, heavenly father. You know, there is nothing more life-changing than knowing the unconditional love of the one who has created you. To know that there is nothing that I can do to make God love me any more or love me any less. And it was as I came to recognize this more that so I came to celebrate what it is to have eternal life more. To know a God who who doesn't promise an easy life, but who did promise me a life that was truly life to the full. To know a God who who wanted wanted him to be Lord over every area of my life. And he wanted that not to cruelly restrict me, but to give me the joy 
of living more and more in line with how he had created me to function. So that's something about me. That is something of the journey that I went on. That journey of the A, B, C, of being saved by the gospel. It's a journey that I'm still on. Admit, believe, celebrate. And really my question this evening to every single one of you is very simple. It is where are you on that journey? Should we pray? Let's pray. Just as we turn to prayer, I know that amongst us here tonight, there will be people at all places along that ABC journey. And there will be people here, maybe you're not yet sure whether you, you admit you need saving. Maybe you're not yet sure whether you, you do believe in Jesus, that he's God's son, that he died and, and rose again to save you. And that is totally fine. That's where you are. That's wonderful. It is wonderful to have you here. And I guess all I'd want to say to you is I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to come along on Alpha on Tuesday. Just as my friend invited me on that Christian conference, I want to invite you. I want to say it would be amazing to see you on Alpha this Tuesday, either the morning or the evening, 7.30. It would be wonderful to see you there. It's not too late to join. But this evening, I'd love to particularly pray for two groups of people. And I guess the first group is anyone who's saying today, for the, for the first time ever, or maybe you've been away from God for a long time, but today you've heard the gospel, and you know that God is on your case. You know A and B, admit and believe, they're what you need to do. You need to admit you need saving, and you need to believe, you need to put your trust in Jesus who's died for you. And if that's you, I'm just going to pray a prayer now. And it's a prayer that if that's you, if you're saying, that is me, that you might like to just echo just silently in your heart as I pray it now. So let's pray. Dear Lord God, I admit that I've been living my life independent of you, with me at the center. Today I admit that I need a saving and I turn to you. Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you that you died in my place taking the condemnation that I deserve. And I ask you to come into my life now by your spirit, that I might begin a relationship with you. Jesus, help me to celebrate the joy of eternal life starting now and going on for eternity. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in a moment, we're going, to, we're going to stand and we're going to respond. We're going to respond with a time of prayer. 
and also a time of uh, a singing of sung worship. But there will be those who've just prayed that prayer now, just in a, in a significant way. And you know, there'll be lots and lots of people here, if you've prayed that prayer, they'll be so excited to hear that you've prayed that prayer. So I'm going to ask if you are willing, just if you might do something very brave. I'm not going to ask you to say anything, uh, to do anything, but I'm going to ask if you prayed that prayer in a, in a significant way, just where you are, I'd love you to raise your hand. And I'd love you to do that a lot, just because we've got a few people who've got uh, these bags, and we'd just love to give you these bags, which has just got a few books in, which are just things that may be helpful for you as you start out this journey with Jesus. So if that's you, if you prayed that prayer in a, in a significant way, um, just where you are, if you'd just like to just put your hand up quickly, um, that'd be wonderful. And there are a few people who are going to come around and give it. There's one here at the front. Thank you. Just place your hand. There's one over there. There's one at the back there. Thank you. Michael, there's one over. Michael, there's one over. Go around there. Thanks. There's one over there. Thank you. Anyone else? Should we just give those people a round of applause? Should we give them a round of applause? Amazing. The best. Thank you so much to each of you. Um, It is the best decision you have ever made and you will ever make that decision that you have made tonight. Uh, Shall we stand? I'm going to pray for those who just raised their hands there and then we'll continue in prayer. But let's stand now as as the band come up. I'm just going to pray for those people that just uh, raised their hands there. Lord God, we thank you for each of those individuals who prayed that prayer, admitting their need of you and wanting to start out in relationship with you. And we thank you for the way that you've been working in each of their lives. And we thank you that you will continue to work in them throughout their life. And we pray right now that you would pour your peace upon them, that they would begin to know the joy of relationship with you, the joy of eternal life, that they would know the wonder of your love for them, and that it would be for today a celebration for them. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, um, let's continue now. Just a, uh, In a moment, we're going to respond in worship. But before we do that, I said I'd love to pray for two groups of people tonight. And in a sense, I wonder if this second group is probably more of us, bigger. And that is those of us. We are, we're definitely a Christian. We have, we have prayed A and B at some point in the past, many, many years ago perhaps. But actually, if we're honest, as we think about that C, celebrating the gospel, celebrating the good news in our lives. Actually, if we're honest, often we feel our relationship with God feels functional. Often it feels dry. Often it perhaps feels lacking in joy. Maybe often we perhaps feel God does feel a bit like a killjoy. There was that verse that was read out earlier about wake up, O sleeper. Maybe some of us feel that actually we have been, if you like, sleeping in our relationship with Jesus. And we want to know more what it is to be celebrating eternal life, celebrating the gospel. And so if that's you, I would love 
us to pray for you. It'll be many of us. It's often at times me. And so some of the prayer team, just some of the prayer team want to come uh, to the front now. And um, as the prayer team are coming, and as we begin uh, to worship now, as the band begins to play, if you're saying, that's me, I'd love to know more what it is to be celebrating eternal life, to know joy in my relationship with Jesus. We'd love you to come out too and to ask for prayer. So just um, come forwards now. And uh, as we do that, um, the band are going to lead us in prayer. So do come forward if you'd like prayer for that or for anything else.